Hello, and welcome to the 2010s mini-sode for The People vs. Oscar, and our last episode of the series, dot dot dot, for now. Uh, we have finally caught up to the present, and uh, will return once the 2020 Oscars have been revealed. Joining me to recap the last 10 years of uh, people and Oscar choices is my wonderful co-host, Matt Furtado. Hey, it's me, your buddy, your pal, everyone's <laughs> favorite, America's best friend. And my Matt best Furtado. iron weed accent, he's me pal. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, Matt, can you believe four years ago we started out on this journey? We we sat down for however many hours of Napoleon, and we have finally reached uh, reached up with the present. I can't believe it. I never thought we would make it this far. Thought we would you know, give up somewhere in the sixties. But you know, we we per- persevered through the sixties. We. Saw the world go into it. I don't know why. (laughs) The sixties were great. Uh, We we persevered through the nineties. I feel like that was a a real. (laughs) But at that point, we had kind of gotten far enough that you know we we had to make it through. But um, but no, we 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 saw the past four years pass through. We saw we ourselves go into a pandemic, and yet we have made it to this final end. And somehow, in spite of uh, being forced to stay at home for almost a, a full year, we have still found time to watch movies. I mean, that's <laughs> mo- mostly all we're allowed to do now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but we watched a lot of movies, some great, some not. So yeah. let's get into talking about the 2010s, starting with our favorite craft element from this decade. So we're going to do our own Oscars for all of the people choices and Oscar choices together for the past 10 years. Matt, who is your number three? My number three pick for craft goes to Toy Story 3. Because it's an animated movie, and animation is great and underrated, especially by... The Academy. And, uh, you know, it just feels nice to give a shout-out to a really nice-looking, well-animated, animated movie. Wonderful. Such a great choice. Especially, like, when you think about how Woody looked in Toy Story 1 versus Toy Story 3. It's Oh, forget Woody. The human characters. Oh, the human yeah. beings. The <laughs> Wor- worlds away, a- Andy grew up and actually like got facial definition. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, uh, my number three choice is um, Emmanuel Lubezki for cinematography for Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Yes, that uh, you know he went on a I believe three Oscar streak, um, and it's hard to deny uh, his win for Birdman. Watching the the camera sort of careen through the the backstage of um, uh, Riggins' performance was really eh, it, it is a gimmick, yes, but it it does work really well. So I have to hand it to him. I think, and I can't remember even anything that we said in that episode, even though it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> uh, but I think, I, 
I think I said something about how, yes, it's a gimmick, but it does actually add to the tone and the feeling and the sort of atmosphere of the movie. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, Matt, what is your number two? Uh, my number two is, and for some reason, this was the only category I didn't write down names for. <sighs> so, sorry. Like, it's just Toy Story 3. I don't know. And uh, and this one, I, I'm... <laughs> It's it's kind of a, a double award. It's a it's production design and cinematography. I am specifically awarding to Parasite. Wonderful. Which is going to show up a lot. If, if, <laughs> if you look at you look at my little awards here, and you would think that only three or four movies came out in in the last decade. Um. Well, Matt, I think you're going to find the same with mine. <laughs> So, so, so great. And you'll probably hear that very soon. Uh, my number two is um, Nicholas Patel's score for Moonlight. I think there's so many um, craft elements that really make Moonlight such a special movie. It was hard to sort of pick one to single out. But I think uh, it's a great example of how a score can really make uh, not even just like the most mundane things, but just like make someone's life feel epic and it really just expressed all the love and longing and hurt of um Chiron throughout these three phases in really beautiful ways and i think it just it elevated every other element of the movie in re- in a really nice way chris can i tell you something yes i'm an idiot <laughs> because i completely forgot that like score was a thing <laughs> <laughs> that I could like, and I'm I'm the soundtrack nut. You are. You're the one that listens to the scores all the time, just in your I, random day to day life. I am. We had two John Williams Star Wars scores that are fantastic and like as good as anything he's ever done because he's the greatest composer of all time. And I didn't even think. Wow, I'm stupid. You are um, stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> I haven't said my number one yet, though. What is your number one? Well, it was going to be something else, but you know what? Now I'm going to change it. I'm going <laughs> to... John Williams for... Uh, ooh, which one do I like better? John Williams for... The Force Awakens. So John Williams for Star Wars The Force Awakens. That Yes, that was always my uh, number one. <laughs> I, I love a game time decision. Um, so what? Um, what was the poor number one that got jilted? Well, it was um, a triple award. <laughs> for, well, let's just uh, make it a quadruple award. Production design. No, it was a quadruple award. Production design, special effects, visual effects, and cinematography for The Shape of Water. Wow. But you know what? I, th- I threw it all in the trash for John Williams. <laughs> and I would do it again. <laughs> You know, I think that's very characteristic of you. you throw it all in the trash for John Williams. <laughs> yes. Um, my number one has been mentioned already, but um, just another shout out to the production design for Parasite. I'm still wowed that those houses are a set, and my, what a set. Yeah. But, like, for real, the cinematography of Parasite, too, there's so many inventive shots, and, like, so many so many movies, a lot of the ones that we watched... Um, more on the people side than the Oscar side, I think, are, are, are just so unimaginatively filmed, like just mm-hmm. sort of really basic, like just television 
over the shoulder <laughs> shot reverse shot like conversation it's like do something interesting <laughs> oh absolutely and parasite and does and like the way that everything stage especially during the uh when the two families are in in the house and like the one family is like hiding underneath the um the table i just think that there's so many like well composed moments that just further underscore uh the themes of bong joon ho's exploring and it's it's riveting yeah well good good work i'm i'm so glad you threw it all away for john williams um (laughs) i don't know if you can throw it all away for john williams in screenplay but uh, i'd love to hear who you have as your number three in that category well in, in the family, at least, closely related, uh, my number three choice for screenplay is Ryan Johnson for Star Wars The Last Jedi. Wonderful. We gushed about that movie aplenty in the episode, but uh, in short, he did something new and fresh and interesting with Star Wars and pushed it to new places that it had never been before and really... It's just awesome. <laughs> that he did. Great, great choice. My number three would be uh, Josh Slinger and Tom McCarthy for their script for Spotlight. Um, I think it's a uh, movie where the script really shines through and its ability to uh, have sort of the Spotlight team act as one protagonist unit and have them each go in their own different directions and really give this entire large ensemble a lot to do and to make all of the different beats and reveals feel unique and earned was really really special and um yeah i uh, just really wanted to call out that movie's best element well deserved well deserved uh my number two for writing goes to barry jenkins for moonlight um again something i gushed about at length in the episode so i don't really need to go over it again just go back and listen to the episode but it's uh a really really effective script that uh i think one of the things i said in the episode was it says so much with so little and that's a really impressive and a hard thing to pull off Matt, you know what? I think we're about to align because my number two is Moonlight as well. Oh my god. <laughs> so uh, I, I can only assume we have the same number one, possibly. It's, uh, I think, highly probable. So do you want to say it uh, three, two, Wait, one? Are you saying the writers or the title of the movie? Um, let's do the writers. Um, I just spoiled it because there's now we know it's something with more than one writer. <laughs> And I think we're correct. Three, two, one. Bong Joon Ho and Han Jin Wan for the the parasite. (laughs) You got it out faster than I did. (laughs) I forgot the name of the movie, though, so that's not (laughs) great. I I, I trusted you when you were spitting it out very quickly. Um, I think we're going to have this happen a lot, but... Uh, Parasite's just a masterpiece through and through. Well, Parasite's <laughs> the best. I was I was realizing when I was putting this together that uh, you know we both it was we both said it was our favorite movie of 2019, but it might also be my favorite movie of the entire decade. Well, it's so funny because like both that and Moonlight are a, among my favorite of the decades as well, and it's it's just so funny to have them 
you know, I'm just so happy that they are both Best Picture winners because I think that they are sort of the unimpeachable masterpieces of this decade. And I'm like so many other unima- uh, unimpeachable masterpieces that we have talked about in our minisodes were never honored by Oscars or weren't widely watched when they were first seen. So it, it's just nice to see great movies being recognized in their time by the Academy. Yes, it is. I agree. Um, moving on to uh, supporting actor, gender neutral category, but uh, all acting in a supporting role. Who is your first choice? Supporting actor. Okay. I shuffled around the order. I, I have these like these very complicated like arrows pointing, <laughs> so I have to like decipher where I uh, where I put everyone. Okay, supporting actor number three, Emma Stone in Birdman. Ooh, I like. I uh, you know I'm kind of lukewarm on that movie, but I think the uh, all the actors are by and large really good. And if I had to pick one sort of support, support well, she's kind of a yeah, you can make a case for her being a lead. No, no, I guess no, no, she's supporting. Supporting, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, um, you're good. She's really great in that movie, um, and she just is the one that that stands out the most to me. Uh, feels really. I don't know what it is about it. Well, her, the the character that she gets to play is like the most authentic among this whole group of sort of delusional, crazy actor people. Um. And uh, she she carries a lot of the emotional weight of the movie, I think. Absolutely. No, a uh, very good call out from uh, the very good ensemble of Birdman. Mm-hmm. I also went with uh, my favorite supporting character in an ensemble to kind of recognize the whole. Um, and I went with um, Cho Yao Yan as um, Mrs. Park in Parasite. Uh, I think one of... I don't even want to say it's an underrated quality of the movie, but its ability to lean into comedy, especially while dealing with the Park family and their delusion is really, really great and wonderful. And for a movie that wrestles with so many important themes, it never takes itself so seriously. And I think that um, Cho Yaon just really uh, gets that to make Mrs. Park funny and endearing you, she has to really be horrified and mortified and think that the walls are closing in on her at every minute. And it's just glorious and wonderful. And I don't think I have la- laughed harder than her introduction scene where <laughs> she has to be like clapped at to be woken awake or when um, she is on the couch with her husband watching her son in the TV outside and she starts having sex with her husband and asking for drugs. There's just, <laughs> there's just this level of like self delusion that she like, doesn't quite get that is, is charming rather than off putting. And I think it's a tricky balance to walk. You know, what's so funny is that I really wanted to include actors from parasite. And yet I couldn't single anyone out. So I, I, it's hard. So I didn't. I just ignored, the, and and I would. So I would just like to say right here that the the entire cast of Parasite is brilliant, but I just couldn't pull any individual one person out for supporting or lead 
acting, so they will not show up in any of my acting. Well, because uh, it's also, like, none of them are, quote-unquote, like, scene-stealers. Like, every single cog in the machine is perfect and is working, so, like, it's hard to... It's hard to parse out if someone's doing a better job because everyone makes everyone better. Yes. Yes, I agree. But yes, on to your number two. Well, yes, now that we know that it won't be anyone from Parasite, uh, (laughs) my number two is... God, this is so confusing, the way I wrote this down. (laughs) Um, Okay, yes, my number two is um, Naomi Harris in Moonlight. (sighs) Wonderful. I, uh, I definitely zeroed in on her and praised her specifically again in the episode where we talked about it. Um, but she is just really great again in a whole movie full of great people. But, but, um, she just really struck me as a solid, memorable, uh, supporting role. Absolutely. No, she did such great work and in only three days. (laughs) Yeah. Which is just wild. Ah, incredible. So both my number two and my number one picks uh, won Oscars for their performances. So uh, I, I guess I am just uh, agreeing with Oscar. But my number two is Lupita Nyong'o for 12 Years a Slave. Um, it's for a movie that like retching and hard to watch. It's hard to kind of say that that's, this is like a star is born moment. But I think she just has this incredible magnetism and really makes Patsy a fully realized character and not just, you know, someone that bad things happen to. I think of the scene where she's like making her dolls in the field. Um, and then there's her heartbreaking scene with Chiwetel Ejiofor where she begs him to kill her. It's, I, I just think it's like really great work and really cements like why she is now a movie star. And, um, I'm just so happy that she got honored with an Oscar and was very well deserved. Very nice. Uh, my number one is one of uh, my favorite actors in general. I think it's fair to say who is often cast as evil bastards, but you know what? It's cause he's really good at playing evil bastards and he's really good at playing an evil bastard in uh, the shape of water. And it's Michael <laughs> Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I should have known you would have gone with your one true love, Mr. <laughs> Shannon. <laughs> I've I've seen him in person once, you know. Ah, uh, God bless. Didn't talk to him, but I, I've seen him. <laughs> That's in- my story. <laughs> <laughs> riveting, riveting. Did he have all of his fingers when you saw him? Uh, I believe so. I believe Good. he did, yes. Uh, my number one, uh, an- another Oscar winner, uh, a two-time Oscar winner. We've seen both of his performances. Um, it's not going to be for his most recent Oscar win. Um, I'm talking about Mahershala Ali in Moonlight. Yeah. Um, a wonderful, wonderful supporting performance that is just such an interesting portrait of masculinity. And I you really get to watch him go on this like silent mini arc through the first act of Moonlight. Um, the scene where uh, Chiron asks him what a faggot is at the end of the first act is the best acting of the decade for me. And I don't know, he just does so much internally and makes just such interesting choices that I wouldn't have predicted seeing like 
scenes on paper. And I just think it's a really unique uh, performance and I love it. For sure. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to argue with uh, just picking the same thing that the Oscars did for a performance like that. But I'm so glad you picked Naomi Harris. I mean, like Moonlight is just loaded with such great performances. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So now on to lead, of course. (laughs) So look at your arrows pointing to lead. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I did the exact same thing with lead acting. Yeah. It's, I was like, I I had them and then I changed my mind what order they should go in. Um, Okay. Yes. Number three for lead acting. Uh, Again, someone in Birdman and it is of course the lead. It's Michael Keaton. Oh my gosh, Matt. Same here. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, again, for for a movie that I don't love, it's uh, the uh it's got some real good performances in it. And in- Michael Keaton is just on fire in that movie. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad it brought brought about the Michael Keaton renaissance. And upon rewatch, like the his performance only gets better. Oh yeah. So it's number great. 2 uh, number two. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, uh, Sally Hawkins, Shape of Water. Wonderful. And then my number. Nothing two. needs to be said because you know what? She doesn't say anything. <laughs> we we are acting out our feelings for Sally Hawkins on the Skype call, and that's all <laughs> you need to know. <laughs> Um, my number two is Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave, uh, a beautiful performance, uh, in a really wonderful movie. Um, and he's such a good anchor for the film and, uh, yeah, it's just a really amazing performance. Chris, I can't tell you how much I agree with all of that. So much so that Chiwetel Ejiofor is my number one. <gasps> wow. Well, Matt, I can't tell you how much I agreed with your silent assessment of Sally Hawkins because she's my number one. Well, well. Wow, wow, wow. Great minds really do think alike. Yeah, clearly. So I wonder, um, I feel like we might have some more agreements coming uh in the director category where what is your number three for director well this is where we really start to uh where i start to really surprise no one uh my number three for director is ryan johnson for star wars the last jedi because i mean just look at that movie dang the um the Laura Dern goes into light speed and wrecks everyone seen alone uh, should be like the showcase. It should be the Oscar clip, if you will, I for mean, the uh, directing in that movie. Plus the really amazing use of color and um, the way he shoots scenes like the, uh, like the big uh, lightsaber fight is just, ah, it's a, it's a gorgeous and, and uh, impeccably, blocked and and uh paste and everything amazing no i completely agree with you on the oscar clip being laura during going into light speed <laughs> unfortunately i i will spoil i 
did not put Last Jedi anywhere on my ballot, and I kept trying to. I really love the movie, so I'm glad you are giving it its proper shout out. Um, I, I mean, like I'm I'm the Star Wars freak, and you are decidedly <laughs> not, so that makes perfect sense. But I did love it, so I'm I'm going on record for that. But I picked another director who has wonderful uses of color and may not have Laura Dern going into light speed, <laughs> but does have Richard Jenkins going into light speed through uh, a toll booth. So I went with Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water, mm-hmm. uh, a movie that just only improved uh, upon, I think, like third or fourth rewatch. It's just such a joy in every which way every craft element every performance every detail it's as joy it's as joyous as he is chris you're never gonna believe this i'm never gonna believe this what am i ever gonna believe you're never gonna believe this chris <gasps> what are we what? asmr now caramel <laughs> del toro is my number two what <laughs> wow absolutely shook <laughs> yeah who yeah. could have predicted <laughs> yeah well, in in a shocking twist that will surprise everyone, my number two is Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. Oh my god, no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, so, do... Might I surmise, do we have the same number one? I'm starting to suspect that we might. Is it Director Bong? It is Director Bong. Woo! Uh, because, duh, of course it is, because Parasite's the best movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really funny to do this when you just kind of know that Parasite runs the gamut across all these categories. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of suspense in this one, but, like, eh, who cares? Well, let's wrap it up then with Picture. Okay, yeah, it's this is going to be the least surprising thing ever for my picks. Uh, my number three, Shape of Water. Woo, mine too. <laughs> I have a feeling... Okay, my number two is... I, I know what yours is too, which is funny. Um, my number two is Star Wars The Last Jedi. And my number two is Moonlight. Paths diverge. I knew it. Will, will they uh, come back together? Um, I think we should basically deliver- basically last Jedi and moonlight just just uh, swapped on our on our lists on our respective lists and I also feel guilty for not giving moonlight enough love um it, it's all good I, I think it represents our personalities but I think um for this last we should just take a Jane Fonda pause really savor it okay. say the best picture of the decade is parasite yes. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. <sighs> wait, way to end on a high note. Uh, what what an incredible journey to, to cap off with giving Parasite all these wins. Yeah, it's, uh, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and it's everything. So, Matt, I, um, before we get to what we recommend from the tens, which I also forgot was a part of the mini episode. Oh, my God. So, it, mine will be very off the cuff. Um, much like you forgot about John Williams and score, I forgot about that. <laughs> but I have my letterbox pulled up, so I'm ready. Um, I have a few bonus questions and short trivia. Oh, good. So, I did come prepared with some things. So... 
Um, Matt, what do you think is our longest episode of all of our hundred episodes? Ooh. It must be. Ooh. Okay. I have a guess that I feel pretty good about. And if I'm not right, I will be disappointed. I think it's Chicago versus the Two Towers. You are absolutely correct. It is 2002 <laughs> Chicago versus Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, which clocks in at one hour, 49 minutes, and 44 seconds. Thank you very much, Cody Pisano. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely not half and half. <laughs> the two movies. God, God bless. Um, conversely, not counting minisodes, what is our shortest episode of all 100 episodes? This one's a little bit harder. This is much harder. I feel like it would just have to be involving a movie or two movies that we just couldn't come up with anything to say about. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go down that road, actually. Really? Okay. Wow. It, it's a movie that we both like. Hint in there. Hmm, it's just one movie. <laughs> what are oh wow? What were the just one movie episodes? Can't even remember. I'm blanking now. Because it's been so long since we had one of those. I know. In this one, it has been a while. <laughs> hey. Oh. Uh, beans i have no idea just tell me it is 1965 the sound of music ah yeah which wouldn't have gotten that clocks in at 49 minutes and 50 seconds what i know we we really uh breezed through <laughs> the sound of music um even though the movie is three hours plus um yeah. and finally what talk about the people choosing what is our most listened to episode of the podcast? And it leads with a pretty commanding lead in listens. Boy, is it, is it one of like the really early on ones? No. Oh. Oh dear. Hmm. It must surely be... Uh, the episode with uh, this is Cinerama. <laughs> <laughs> Very close. So I'll read the, the the top five for you. Um, number five is 1937 Snow White and the Seven Dwarves versus The Life of Emil Zola. Okay, I did I did know that that was a big one. Yeah. Um, number four, 1985 Back to the Future versus Out of Africa with Claire. Makes sense. Number three. 1952, This is Cinerama versus oh. The Greatest Show on Earth with Cody Bassana. So I you was very kidding. close. I was kidding. You were wow. very, very close. Um, number two, 1987, with Fatal Attraction versus The Last Emperor with Anna Delman as guest. Cool. And then finally, our most listened to episode, uh, which had... 140 more listens than our number two. So wow. pretty commanding lead yeah. was 1976, our Rocky episode with Claire Andre. A lot of Rocky fans out there. A lot of Rocky fans. Including me, really. It's because it's of that episode. 
I, I, I really enjoyed the movie and enjoyed the episode. I'm. It's so funny that that just like became the far and away top listen. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm, for the record, I had I had seen that movie before we did that episode, but doing that episode inspired me to watch all of the sequels. And so I am now a huge fan of the Rocky saga, not just the original movie. You're a true Rocky fan now. Yes. And then my next few fun questions um, are looking back at the uh, 92 years that we have covered. What are your favorite and least favorite first-time watches of the podcast? Okay, favorite is easy. So easy. Favorite first-time watch is The Deer Hunter. Wonderful. Least favorite first-time watch is probably Mom and Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So... My favorite first time watch, I had a few that I was choosing between um, because I hadn't seen both David Lean epics, but I'm actually going to go all the way back and say Wings. I think Wings was like a really great gateway that made me so excited to do this project and is something I look back really fondly at. Um, And my least favorite, you know, there was a few different ways we could have approach this like i thought of a i thought of a different one for me by the yeah. way yeah what it na- name a few because i'm gonna name a few <laughs> no, no 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 i have the real answer this time okay what is it this was wor- much worse much 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 worse than mom and dad i would rather watch mom and dad every day than have to watch this ever again it was uh, transformers age of extinction i mean that that was I, I i think my answer too it's one of the most unpleasant watches but you know there's also the crazy racism of song of the south which is equally as boring too as transformers age of extinction there's gigi (laughs) yes yes Um, i in the vein of transformers though i actually think the one i don't think i could watch every day at least transformers i can like tune out and make fun of a few things Cleopatra is like watching paint dry, and I don't think I could ever do that again. Yeah, I probably could. I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> I, I I applaud you. That's a Herculean task. Um, and then my other fun question was. What, among movies you saw, again, through this podcast, which one grew the most in your estimation, and which one uh, stunk the most upon revisiting? Man, I would have to, like, really look back at the list to answer that, which I am going to do. I'll, I'll name mine while you pull, pull yours up. Um, so mine that grew the most... I would actually say is uh, Amadeus. I liked it well enough when I saw it, like as a high schooler, just making his way through Oscar movies. But when I watched it this time, I was like, oh no, this like fucking slaps. This would kill still today. Go Amadeus, like top tier 80s Oscar winner. And for least favorite, um, I will delight you, Matt. I 
did find myself crushed by how much I did not like uh, Harry Potter 7.2 and God of Fire. Uh, I, I will still hold a small place in my heart for Sorcerer's Stone, but I the the Harry Potter film uh, bubble has burst officially. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, look, any any loss of love for a movie is uh, a tragedy, and I will not uh, dance on Harry Potter's grave too much, but I will a little bit because I don't think that by and large it's a very good series of movies. <laughs> You, you can you can dance on its grave all you, all you want. You can dance just like they danced in that tent in 7.1. <laughs> this is really tough because the thing that about me, I think, is that I my opinion on, on movies doesn't evolve that drastically. Uh, I think I think once I have seen something, I like I know how I feel about it, and then with a f- with very few exceptions, that will be the way I feel about it forever. Mm-hmm. So I can only say that like like something like Avatar, which which I was already kind of like eh, all right, it, it just kind of really solidified itself as eh, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, actually, you know what, no. Looking at the list now, I do have one that sunk, that definitely sunk in my estimation. My my memory of enjoying it was much brighter than how I actually felt rewatching Ooh, what it. What was it? And this is going to disappoint you, possibly, and I'm sorry, but it's Shrek 2. Oh, Shrek 2. It's, uh... Yeah, that disappointed me too terribly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you seemed to to really like it, and I was like, really, I really didn't. <laughs> so I, I I can say that like, you know, when you enjoy something in spite of itself, that's that's <laughs> Shrek too. I I love it for reasons that might not make it good. <laughs> My memory of it though was that it was like really fun and funny and stuff and it just watching it again was like, ah, no. <laughs> I think that's also the thing with pop culture references when they're deployed right and hit in the right moment, they're incredibly hilarious and when you catch up with them 16 years later, you're like, "Oh, this movie feels ancient." <laughs> mm, mhm. And as far as something that improved, I mean, Certain certain things only only get better every time you watch them. Mm-hmm. I could list like a billion movies here. Something like Gladiator, which I already loved. Just watching it again, I was like, yes, this, <laughs> this movie. Yeah, I don't know. Those are answers. Wonderful. Great. By no choices. means definitive, but they are answers. And then my my final last question. We we started this podcast to answer the age old question: the people versus the Oscar. Who who has the better taste? Who do we agree with more? And it wound up being the Oscars, one hundred and thirteen to one hundred and seven. Uh, Matt, how do you feel about those results? Is that what you expected? Now, having gone through four years of this, uh, does that feel like the right answer? Um, I don't know. I think I think what is the the coolest 
thing about the outcome of this whole experiment, if you want to call it that, is how close the two have always been mm-hmm. from the beginning. It's it's always a tug of war, and one never gets too extremely far ahead of the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more my takeaway, um, that there are tons of great movies that have won Best Picture, and there are tons of pieces of garbage that have won Best Picture. And oh, like And likewise for highest grossing movies and um i think that it's a an ever an everlasting eternal tug of war that um you know may have a winner year to year may have a winner as of february 15th 2021 uh time stamping this recording um but in in the grand scheme of history the the two are are yin and yang well it's really interesting that you say that because i looked at um each decade just to see like for each decade like what won out and it really did switch every decade sometimes like with pretty wild variants like um in the 40s the people got seven votes and oscar got 17 but then in the 50s the people got 15 votes and the Oscars got seven. So there isn't really a trend except that everything is sort of in response to each other. And uh, I agree. I think that that's really neat. Yeah. And I, I, I cannot wait to see what the future holds. Exactly. So then to wrap it up, do we want to give some recommendations from the tens? Yes, we do. Perfect. I'll let you begin. We're doing 10, right? Yes, top 10. Top 10 other movies from the 2010s, which um, a lot that would have ordinarily gone on a top 10 of this decade list were already covered in the podcast, so I had to sort of uh, get creative and branch out into some other stuff that wouldn't have ordinarily gotten a a shot in the spotlight, which I thought was nice. Perfect. Um, First of all, before I begin, before I give my number 10, I have to give an honorable mention, a very special honorable mention to the film Gotti. <laughs> <laughs> the most influential film of the 2010s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starring John Travolta. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. I would just, just go watch it. Um, and uh, it's not good. It's not good. But that's why it's good, if that makes sense. It's it's very emotionally involving. Yeah. <laughs> you get swept away with the music by Pitbull and the, the raw emotions of John Travolta and Kelly Preston. Yes, yes. Um, okay, but real real time, though. Real answers. Number 10, Nightcrawler. Ooh, great choice. A movie about Jake Gyllenhaal as a crazy person, which is always a good time. Um, just a, a really, really fun, really intense, really involving, uh, movie about, um, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal as a, as a psycho. That's all I need to say. We love Jake Gyllenhaal in a psycho mood. So mine is going to be very, just, I scrolled through my letterbox of five stars in the 2010s and I just picked what really spoke to me. And yeah, we're getting just wild. 
it, it it is wild, but I think in its wildness, it is a tapestry of my 2010s. Um, and weirdly, I'm going to start with a movie that was very much not of the 2010s because it was filmed in 2006 and it's very much a uh, meditation on post 9-11 anxieties and trauma. And that is Kenneth Lonergan's Margaret, which had a very, very long shelf life until it was eventually released in 2011, but is absolutely brilliant and wonderful. And I only watched it for the first time in quarantine. And it also helped me cope with uh, emotions of why in the world is is this happening? Helplessness. Anna Paquin is a teenager, both at the, or playing a teenager and also I think just barely out of her teens when it was filmed. Um, and she is distracting a bus driver played by Mark Ruffalo, um, with a cowboy hat. And as he looks at her, he accidentally runs over Alice and Janney and kills her. And it's a two and a half hour movie about this, um, teenage girl processing her grief after this woman was killed and trying to make sense of her part in that and uh, contacting some of the people that knew this woman that died and how can she make something so wrong, right? And it's got an amazing ensemble, J. Smith Cameron, uh, Jeannie Berlin, uh, I'm probably, oh, uh, Matthew Broderick, uh, tons and tons and tons of people. And it's a really rich, wonderful tapestry and worth sitting through all two and a half hours of. Wow. Well, for my number nine, now look, it, it can't be a, a Matt Furtado top ten list without uh, an appearance by old Stevie Spielberg. <laughs> and, no cannot. Um, shockingly, I only have one on my top Ooh. ten, and it's at number nine. It's all the way down at number nine, which is, like, shocking. Uh, especially compared to last decade. I don't know if you remember, it was like half Steven Spielberg movies. <laughs> um, but it's the way it shakes out this time, I guess. He's still the best filmmaker ever. Um, and uh, that would be Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. Wonderful. Great movie. Which I think is brilliant and amazing and impressive and the way to do a historical biopic and is uh, features a, a fantastic lead performance from Daniel Day-Lewis and, of course, never forgetting him ever again, a great score from John Williams. Never forget John Williams. Uh, I, I feel like this is like my my phrase of the minisode, but what I love so much about Lincoln is the way that it opens up the ensemble and really uh, shows you all of the different players at this time in history going into the amendment that he was passing. It, it really is just like you said, a, a great way to do a historical biopic. Yeah. Uh, my number nine is going to be Ashgar Farhadi's A Separation. It's a really wonderful moral play um, where sort of every new plot development really makes you question who your allegiances lie with. Um, essentially, the basic setup is this couple is searching for a live-in caretaker for uh, their uh, ailing uh, father, and an altercation happens based on a misunderstanding that leaves uh, the woman who, 
falling downstairs, revealing that she's pregnant and revealing that she has miscarried from the push down the stairs. And a legal battle ensues. It's really interesting writing, uh, really great acting and filmmaking, and well worth the watch. And I am so sorry that um, I am off to such a depressing start. So if you want (laughs) to deal with... um, trauma after watching someone get mowed down by a New York bus and then watch a pregnant woman get pushed down the stairs, uh, go to my list, because I got both so far. Well, Matt, my, Matt has neither. <laughs> my number eight is hardly sunshine and rainbows either. Uh, my number eight is David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Ooh, um, great, great, great. I love David Fincher. Not sure if I've ever had a chance to say that on this podcast. And really, this spot could have maybe just as easily gone to Gone Girl, which is also great. But uh, I think I picked this because, uh, like, Rooney Mara is just so cool. And um, so is Daniel Craig. And it's just, um, I don't know. I like it. I like a good murder mystery story. And... Um, as we were talking about before we recorded, actually. And, uh, as just cool. Christopher Plummer's there. R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah, that's what? all I have to say. It's it's not, um, it's, it's like, intense, though, so don't, like, don't, uh, yeah, like I said, not really a Sunshine and Rainbows type of happy movie, but it's, like, it's real cool. Well, I'm just gonna continue the depressing train and uh it will get happier i promise but i want to talk about rabbit hole a movie i absolutely adore um so nicole kimmon and aaron eckhart are parents and their son is killed in an automobile accident when he runs into the street and miles teller runs him over (laughs) (laughs) it's just Chris's top 10 movies of people getting run over. Yeah, there's a lot. I'm very scared of getting run over because that's all I saw in the 2010s. Um, But no, it's a wonderful um, portrait. It's actually a very hopeful movie. A wonderful portrait of grief um, and how people can find their way out of it. Um, There's a lot of people... um, Part of where the marital tension comes is... Aaron Eckhart is finding um, solace in group therapy while Nicole Kidman absolutely hates it. And so she ends up seeking out Miles Teller, who accidentally killed her child, and becomes friends with him against all odds. And uh, he's like a comic book writer, and he's um, developing this like comic about um, multiple timelines, and that sort of becomes her way of coping because she can imagine that there's a timeline in a world where she's happy with her son. Um, and it's really, really interesting and really great and features probably my favorite Nicole Kibben performance, which is saying a lot. So there we go. That is saying a lot. That That is a lot coming from oh, you. And Diane Weist gives an incredible monologue. Amazing. Nice. Uh, you know who else I love? Uh, Shane Black. Ooh, yes, you do. And um, my favorite movie of his is is my number seven, and it's obviously one of my favorite movies of the last decade, is The Nice Guys, Ooh. written and directed by Shane Black and starring Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. It's a, uh, like many, most of Shane Black's movies, it's sort of a, a buddy action comedy. 
And it's just so funny and so clever and so much fun. Wonderful. No, it's a really, really fun movie and a great portrait of uh, Hollywood in the 70s. Yes. 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 So my number six is a little bit happier. Um, No no one gets run over. Um, (laughs) So buckle up. Um, Are we no runs? Seven. Sorry. No one gets run over in this movie because they're um, (laughs) still. uh, It is Charlize uh, Theron in uh, Diablo Cody's and Jason Reitman's Young Adult. It's such a mean little movie, and I love it so goddamn much. Uh, Charlize plays Mavis Gary, a uh, children, a YA author who returns to her hometown to try and break up her high school boyfriend's marriage after she finds out that he has had a baby. Um, Pat, she's amazing. Pat and Oswald are amazing. It's wonderful to watch these two misanthropes uh, find each other and uh, toxically bounce off each other. But I think it also narratively has one of the bravest endings, which I don't want to spoil for those who haven't seen it. But it just yeah, takes it just takes very interesting turns, and it never forces you to like these really horrible characters, which is why I absolutely fell in love with them. And it's great. You're doing really, a really great job with your completely off the cuff list, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I think maybe the off the cuffness like helped. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't have time to overthink it. No, exactly. It's all like right, right off the dome. All right. Well, my number six is a film from Japan featuring my favorite large dinosaur creature. Uh, It's Shin Godzilla, everybody. (laughs) From 2016, a Godzilla reboot of sorts that uh, really brings the franchise back to its uh, dark and uh, thematically strong allegorical roots um it's a heavily uh critical satire of the uh sort of slowness and inefficiencies of the the bureaucracy of the japanese government uh contextualized in uh, the form of uh the uh, a giant uh, in the form of godzilla uh you know blowing shit up <laughs> and it's um <laughs> No, it's really awesome and it's really clever. The uh, the design work on Godzilla itself is is amazing and and really creative and unlike um, really any other take on on the character of Godzilla I've ever seen before. And it's just a really good movie. It won um, it won Best Picture in Japan at their their equivalent of the of the Oscars. So that should uh, give some indication of how good it is. Wonderful. I'm so glad Godzilla found a way onto your list. Yes, me too. A, a true representation of Matt Furtado. Yeah, oh, you just you wait. <laughs> um, my number six is um, another romantic movie about a really toxic human being. Um, I absolutely 
Jador Phantom Thread. More each time I see it, I love it more and more and more. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis plays Reynolds Woodcock, a really temperamental fashion designer who falls in love with a uh, waitress named Alma, who becomes his muse, but also is more than he bargained for. Also, Leslie Manville is absolutely incredible as his uh, sister and uh, manager of his brand. The House of Woodcock is great. His gowns are amazing and very kooky. Um, the way that they do sound design to make um, the way Alma butters her bread feel very annoying is hilarious. It's endlessly quotable. And it's just a really fun portrait of dealing with toxic masculinity in a way that loves and hates all of its characters. And I just love that I was born out of Paul Thomas Anderson getting sick um, for a week and having Maya Rudolph take care of him. And that's how he came up with the idea for Phantom Thread. And once you see it, that makes a whole lot more sense. And I love it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think, Chris, you would agree. Uh, And certainly the the movies that we covered uh, on People vs. Oscar would bear this out. That the 2010s is... Uh, the decade of the superhero film. Yes. They're everywhere. Superheroes, everywhere. Superheroes coming out of our, our noses and ears. And um, I'm just going to throw more onto the pile because I'm a nerd. And I love those <laughs> I love those spandex-wearing, flying-around people. And um, there are some... Well, actually, okay, so here's the thing. It's a good thing that the podcast is over. Or <laughs> that it's over because... <laughs> Because this next one is going to alienate everybody and uh, cause no one to ever want to listen to anything I ever have to say ever again. I'm going to lose all credibility with this. And I don't care because I love this movie. And uh, if uh, you don't, uh, which is like everyone, uh, you're wrong. Sorry. But it's Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is my number five. Um, Look, listen, nobody likes Zack Snyder and I don't understand why. But, you know, it's fine, I guess. I think he makes cool movies. And I think Batman v Superman, especially the director's cut, it was chopped down for a theatrical release because they thought it was too long. Which, like, the studio thought it was too long. Which, like, in fairness, yeah, okay, it probably is. But (laughs) in chopping it down, they cut out a lot of stuff that actually, like, makes the plot make sense. And so I really feel like that did it no favors. So see the longer director's cut if you can. Or don't, because everyone hates the movie and, and, uh... I don't know, no one's going to listen to me anyway, but uh, I think it's great and awesome and does something really interesting and really swings for the fences for a superhero movie in a way that uh, the Marvel movies that always play it safe never do. So, anyway. I I love that you are always authentically yourself, and (laughs) that's what we're here for. So... (laughs) I cannot sanction the <laughs> recommendation. I am happy you made it. Yes, you which can. Which is also why my number... F- it's funny that it's paired with my number five. A movie that probably should be number one for how much I talk about it is integral to my personality and is a masterpiece in all sense of the words. And I can't believe I have it at number five, not number one. But it is the, the classic... Mamma Mia! Exclamation point! <laughs> Here we go again. Um, All right, listen. Now I don't feel bad anymore because, like, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Did they like <laughs> look at the first Mamma Mia and say, what should we do as a sequel? Oh, we should do it as in the style of The Godfather Part 2. <laughs> it, again, I don't want to fully spoil the ending, but the time continuum is broken. The past and the present merge into one and everyone has a party. It is an absolute transcendent experience. Uh, Lily James does a better young Meryl than any of her daughters ever have. It's so much fun. It has all of the heart, all of the emotion. There is death and ghosts. So it does somewhat fit into my depressing streak. Um, It is, it is a masterpiece. No one gets run over, but Meryl's death is very hush-hush, we don't know. Also, there are very few uh, motorized vehicles in the island of Calicari because they are all basically in a wonderful commune. Um, it's, it's a perfect film. Christine Baranski and uh, Julie Walters and Amanda Seyfried do a version of Angel Eyes that must be seen to be believed and is the mood for all moods. It's a perfect film. <laughs> etch, it, etch it in stone. Francis Ford Coppola found it dead after watching <laughs> Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, for he realized Godfather Part Two could never stand up. N- never before have two... Uh, timelines and origin stories been in conversation with each other more. Sophie is Michael Corleone. Who knew that number five is the point at which we both go completely unhinged? I guess that's just the, uh, that's the magic number. It's it's the magic number because we, we have to reveal we are who we are. (laughs) Um, Well, I know what you're thinking. Matt couldn't possibly do two superhero movies in a row on his list, could he? Like that I, I wasn't thinking rid- that. <laughs> that would just be ridiculous. Like, why would he do that? And it's because, well, because I like superhero movies. <laughs> and uh, my number four is another one from the wonderful world of DC, but uh, about as far tonally as you can possibly get from Batman vs. Superman. It's Shazam! Which ah. I don't feel as guilty about putting on my list, because this one was actually critically very well received. Um... Again, complete opposite tonally from Batman vs. Superman. It's basically the movie Big with Tom Hanks, but as a superhero. And uh, who doesn't love that? Uh, it really is a fun movie. Zachary Levi, great. Yes, yes. It's, it's, a, it's, a, wonderful, it's a wonderful fun time. Uh, my number four, much like Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again takes place on an island, a remote island, um, and, you know, has a very fun song and dance number by a campfire, but in all other aspects, is very different. I am talking, of course, about Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I still uh, haven't seen it, dang it. Matt, this is your this is your chance to get swept away by uh, the lesbians on a really fancy island that fall for each other, but also like fall for each other after an hour of exchanging really sexual looks at each other from beyond really nice like hooded uh, garments. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. Um, 
I know uh, a French movie about lesbians looking at each other sultrily for an hour doesn't sound fun, but let me tell you, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is an absolute bop. You will have the time of your life. Uh, there's also like a wonderful maid who is like totally in on the drama. Once you're in on it and you're in on all of the relationships there's also like the specter of a dead sister so it feels kind of rebecca-ish almost it's so 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 good so 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 sexy so 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 fun and you know after i go to the island of calicari i also want to go to the island on portrait of a lady on fire and fall fall in love and have my you know i'm not gonna swear not gonna not gonna say anything more I really, I really need to see it. I've been, it's been on the list. But and it's know. on Hulu, I believe. So, everyone, just the wonderful people at Hulu, go go to them. <laughs> uh, my number three is without question the greatest comedy of the past decade. Ooh! If not the past two decades, if not of all time, and it is. Not what anyone is expecting, I'm sure. It is the Lego movie. Ah. <laughs> There's a story behind this. I went in with zero expectations, which may have something to do with it. I don't know if uh, watching it when someone has hyped it up as the best comedy of the past two decades will, you know, result in, in the same reaction. But because it was just like a Lego movie, like what? Uh, huh? Like, who cares? Like, what even is this going to be? But, um, I saw it with a group of friends. Were you there? Y- yes, uh, we had to rush from Venice to the old Culver City Theater before it was nice and an arc light and had trouble parking. Yeah. It was a real, it was a real evening. It was a real to-do. And I think, I think we, we made it a thing to go and see it just because we were shocked at how good the reviews were, right? Oh, yeah, we... We were like, let's give this, like, fucking thing a chance, but, like, no way is it going to be that good. Yeah, because it's a Lego movie. It's a movie about Legos. Like, who's going to, like, what? And um, I, at least, and definitely definitely Brandon did, um, who's been on the podcast before, um, ended up laughing so hard. I was in tears multiple times because the manic goofy energy of this thing caught me so off guard and was so genuinely hilarious that i it was just one of the best times i have ever had watching anything so again i worry that like just by saying all of this and and trying to sell the movie in this like puffed up way is gonna like mean that if if anybody is listening to this and decides to check it out based on me saying this is gonna watch it and be like that what what are you talking about? But like, I just, as a first time viewing with, with no expectations, it was the most delightfully surprising experience I've maybe ever had. I can co-sign all of Matt's experiences. He was crying in the theater. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> breathe. I was laughing so hard. It was, it was so wild. <laughs> uh, my my number three is is not a barrel of laughs, and I do believe that people are run over in this movie. Um, <laughs> it is George Beller's Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> oh my god! 
an absolute spectacle in every single way. Um, if I if I know Matt Furtado, I'm sure it's probably coming up on the list. But uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, but no, it's just absolutely. It feels like why people watch movies and Cirque du Soleil. Like it's just a feat of acrobatics and storytelling and guttural screams that you have to see to believe. Uh, I don't know how that movie got made, and I love that it did in the way that it did, and it's perfect. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna not say anything about that for for a minute <laughs> or two. Um, yeah, so my number two movie may be a sort of left field choice, maybe unexpected a little bit, is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Ooh. directed by Matt Reeves and starring Andy Serkis as an ape. Um, the the middle part of the sort of newer, modern 2010s Planet of the Apes trilogy. Um, it's a total masterpiece. It's amazing. I love it. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, just a fantastic sci-fi kind of drama movie it's it's everything that a that a sort of big budget blockbuster movie should be and and rarely is it feels like a throwback in a lot of ways in a good way though with its focus on the characters and the the drama and the the stakes are always very personal and really really deeply felt at least for me and for uh, a movie with so many visual effects i mean literally every shot all the apes are cgi it's uh motion capture stuff it's it doesn't feel like spectacle for spectacle's sake it feels like story first characters first and uh the whole first like i want to say 10 15 minutes of the movie has no dialogue whatsoever it's all uh, and there are no human characters it's all ape characters who uh just communicate in sign language with subtitles which is an incredibly bold choice for like a big studio movie in uh, 20, what was it? 14. And, uh, I just think it's really cool, really well directed. It looks great. And, uh, it's just, I, I love it. I have to co-sign what you're saying. It's, uh, of the new, new trilogy. It's my favorite of them, but it just, hearing you talk about that brought back all of the fond memories of watching all of you showing me all of the Planet of the Apes movies. I do love um, Planet of the Apes. And it's it's just such a strange franchise. It's so versatile and goes in so many different ways. And um, I'm I'm not surprised to see it on your list, and I'm glad to see it on your list. So cheers to that number two. <laughs> uh, my number two will also will probably not surprise many people and is a bit of a personal choice, but I absolutely that's what these lists are exactly <laughs> exactly but i i just love ladybird so much oh uh, yeah <laughs> it, it's uh i i mean coming from like around the sacramento area i absolutely like fell head over heels in love with the story of christine ladybird mcpherson and um her uh tough mother marion i i think it's such a wonderful and textured uh look at a 
girl trying to get out of her small Central Valley town and the family frictions um, that she experiences. I love Greta Gerwig so much who wrote and directed it. I think it's an incredible, incredible uh, first feature for her. And it just makes my heart sore and every single person in it makes my heart sore. And I love every stinking minute of that movie and can't get enough of it. So that's my number two. I'm surprised it's not my number one, but it's my I number two. I am too. I would have totally expected that to be your number one. I wanted to do a curveball for number one, so. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, and can I just say about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes that uh, Matt Reeves is, an, is a really amazing, interesting director, and I'm so jazzed that he is directing the new Batman movie. Just gotta <laughs> put that out there. Um, well, my number one is a movie in which a lot of people get run over, and it's Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club of people getting run over. It's literally a perfect movie. Like, that's, and it's the best action movie. Similar to the way the Lego movie is the greatest comedy of the last decade or two decades, Mad Max Fury Road is definitely the greatest action movie of the last decade or two. Um, It's, the entire thing is more or less one long chase. Like it's it's just the whole movie is 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 a chase and it's so varied in its action that it never once becomes monotonous or feels repetitive or it's like the stakes are always shifting and and it's always it looks so gonzo and interesting the the colors are like blown out and it's uh the performances are great charlie theron is great um and it's just perfect and george miller is is a madman and i say that with all the love and affection (laughs) ah god bless mad max fairy road perfect film great choice for number one matt thank you um and my number one feels if you really want an emotional day watch it with lady bird um i think they're very very similar and of a piece uh it is mike mills 20th century woman uh an incredibly wonderful and personal film about growing up in santa barbara in the 70s um uh this boy is raised by a single mother uh dorothea uh played by annette benning who gives perhaps the best performance of the decade uh in my estimation, um, who thinks that he is suffering from uh, not having a male role model, but not having any other males except for Billy Crudup as kind of a goofy handyman that lives in her home. She decides that rather than giving him a male father figure, she should give him multiple other female uh, figures to learn and grow from, which include Greta Gerwig as a artist who moved back from New York and is struggling with a cancer diagnosis, Elle Fanning as his best friend who may or may not be platonic, who is going through her own stuff and her as well. It's such a rich tapestry of a movie with, uh, it's the best use of voiceover I've seen in a movie in recent memory. And I think it just does a lot with different people's perspectives and memory of a certain time and place. Uh, It's why Santa Barbara is one of my favorite places. I always think of that movie when I go there. And I think why I was warring between uh, putting this at number 
one or Ladybird at number one. And I felt that Ladybird reflected a lot of my own experiences, which is why I loved it. And 20th Century Woman brilliantly dramatized experiences that I did not go through or live through and made them feel real and personal in a way that few movies have. And I think that that's an even greater skill. So I wanted to give that up to Mike Mills. And it's just so beautifully shot and beautifully edited and is so much more epic and grand than it seems on paper. Wow. You know, it's amazing to me that our our own personal Oscars, if you want to call them that, can be so similar, and then our top ten <laughs> lists are so different. Well, I mean, it's I think it's a testament to why we started out with this, because I think it was always, you were you were the people and I was the Oscar. And I think through this, we've, uh, I don't know. I, I think our tastes are very similar and very different in uh, a lot of different ways. And I think that's, what's made this such a fun and interesting journey to go on with you, Matt. Oh my God. I, I can't agree more. And that is a wrap. Once again, I just want to thank you for four great years of listening and Matt four great years of co-hosting and we will be we will be back in a couple months to do 2020 but thank you for being on this wonderful wild journey with us and on a i assume i it was just sort of once a year basis mm-hmm. until what we die until we die or movies stop grossing money in theaters i guess who who knows where the world's going to take we're in the pandemic right now (laughs) yeah it's true there may not be oscars or box offices for for much longer so anyways thank you all so much enjoy the rest of your day or evening